Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Well, Jim, as promised, we're back and we're biblical. <laughs> Is that a t-shirt? What's that? <laughs> I, we have, you know, he's back and he's biblical. He's biblical. This immigration question is one that's mm. been, you know, on my mind for a long time. As long as Christianity is sort of the state religion of the United States these days, which I'm saying with plenty of tongue firmly planted in cheek, I think we owe it to our fellow Christians, Judeo Christians, monotheists, wherever you are, whatever your God of origin to lay out what it is that the Christian God of origin says about immigration in the book that matters to Christians, the Bible. I, I'm being sort of inclusive and also a little facetious about that, but it's important. It's important to get this right. If there is somebody who can explain this from the Quranic point of view, please, you know, let us know. A lot of these quotes come from the Talmud. Recognize that particular subset of the Bible as the Old Testament or most of it. Uh, you're doing your homework. And I think it'd be helpful just to sort of review that. I agree. And I, I intend this with as much due respect as possible. I want people, if they say that the Bible is my standard for this or for that, to at least be consistent on, on when it comes to this question, because uh, all human beings are made in the image of God. And the beginning of our Declaration of Independence suggests that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Those rights are by nature pre-constitutional. That means that the government doesn't give them to you. They come from somewhere else. This is a existential question. If you have rights, if you believe in the existence of rights, uh, if your source is the government, those rights can be taken away from you. And so uh, where do these rights derive? And so I actually think it is right to go back and look. And for the people who claim then, to have these values, then I want them to practice at least consistently. I don't want them to pick and choose cafeteria style. Like I, okay, well, I believe in the part in Leviticus that says that we need to go out and stone gay men. Wait, what? And then say, well, no, but we can stop immigrants from coming in. Cause you're going to see right in the oldest of old Testament, including the book of Leviticus here, that that stuff is in here. And so we need to, we need to address this fairly. We need to divide this correctly. And I think then you have later, you know, I'm getting a little, uh, I'm waxing a little theological here because we do a show called Grace Archie because we're talking about grace, which is represented by Christ, who says, who comes and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I and my Father are one. And God is love, which I go to pains to point out. It doesn't say God, one of my favorite attributes of God is love. Amongst many things that God is, is love. God <laughs> likes our to weapons. Love. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a good he's a good guy. No, it says God equals love. 
right? That is the, the essence. If you're trying to boil it down to its substance. And so, and then Jesus comes and dies for, for us. So this is a great expression of love and it's the greatest expression of love. So that means that this Im image of God thing at the beginning that has to do with our rights does apply to everyone. And God ex expects us to understand that original thing as applying to everyone. And then it turns out in the Old Testament that there's a specific name for the illegal alien. Yes, for the illegal alien, the person without papers who happens to show up in your nation. And they're called sojourners. So I, let's I, let's just dig into this. Let's go yeah, in let's and let's in. talk about it. Yeah. We're just going to rapid fire this back and forth if we want to interject anything in between. But I'll lead off with Exodus 22, verse 21. You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Nice reminder. Yes, in uh, Exodus 23, 9, the, the book of Exodus has a lot to say about being coming from Egypt because that's where they exited from. You shall not oppress a resident alien. You know the heart of an alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. So this is, the, the Egypt uh, thing is an understanding is on two levels. They were slaves there. That's level one. And level two, where they're at now, they're aliens. So they went from being slaves to aliens. And think of how many people, when they make that track, are leaving family and custom and friends and jobs and what are, you know the dreams they had for their life behind to go to a place they don't know where they are strangers and they don't know what they're going to do next and how they're going to provide for themselves and and literally they're being asked to empathize here empathize with the fact that you were once this alien leviticus 1933 is written for texas governor abbott when an alien resides with you in your land you shall not oppress the alien. And in the previous episode, we talked directly to uh, Governor Abbott, who was bragging about sending people to sanctuary cities. Now, where do we get the term sanctuary from? What is the concept of sanctuary? This is a literally a religious or church motif. People come in. Where do you worship? It's in the sanctuary. This is the safest place. It's the central place. But historically speaking, we have treated it as sacrosanct, a place that that the state can't come into and grab people out of. That this is considered a crime of immense proportions, a tremendous injustice. We should be welcoming into the sanctuary, into the into our our central areas, these people who are escaping or fleeing uh, other tyrannies. What do we got next, Bill? Uh, more from Leviticus. This is how to care for people who are with you and probably would like to be there, but don't want it to be as hard as it can be to be an alien. So Leviticus 23, 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord, your God. And by the way, I am the Lord, your God is kind of like, you know, the stamp of approval. Yes. I, I said it, boys. Bang. Uh, bang. Gavel swings next. Gavel swings. Yes. And so, uh, so, so gleaning or harvesting the land, you know, it's an agricultural society and obviously food matters or whatever, but this principle applies to other types of business too. It's the idea of, of not consuming every bit of it, but sharing some portion of it charitably. Yes. And specifically it's saying that one of the charitable targets that you would have would not necessarily just be the poor because they had a provision like this for the poor as well but it was also for the alien. The alien was to be included in this. So this is someone who is not your brother, not your friend. They are a stranger from a strange land. And 
you're responsible for providing, a, leaving a little bit of the harvest behind so they can come pick it up for themselves. They can harvest, even though they didn't do the plowing, even though they didn't do the feeding, even though they didn't take pull the weeds, they could still at the very end come and take a small portion, a very small portion. And some of that will go to the benefit of feeding them. So the idea, Bill, I want to keep in mind that I'm a libertarian saying this, the idea that there should be welfare, a welfare program, this is what it's describing right here. Now, this is not a coercive program. This is only if you care about the fact that you have a Lord, your God, and you want to be properly accountable and in relationship with God. You want to be like Christ. That's what matters here. So this is voluntary. You don't have to do this. There's no coercive program. Nobody's putting gun in your head like the government's program works, where they take a little bit off the top too, right? And they pass out some to their friends and there's favorite contracts and all the rest of it. This is straight share to share. You see an alien, you help, you reach out, you extend. It's right here being commanded. You know, the, the Hebrew God was pretty terrifying, but it was also a pretty practical God and recognized that things like we spoke about in the last episode, having new people, helping to create a better society and grow the society and everything else was a good idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is one of the very few verses where we're reading, I am the Lord, your God. This is so important that God swung mm -hmm. the gavel and bang and made it so. Yep. Do the next okay. two because they're of a they're of a kind. Yeah, I'm going to read both of these together. So Leviticus 24, 22 is, you shall have one law for the alien and for the citizen. For I am the Lord your God. There goes that gavel again. One law. And Numbers 15, 16. You and the alien who resides with you shall have the same law and same ordinance. So the principle here was that we shouldn't treat anybody different. This is, again, everyone's made in the image of God and all persons are born with certain inalienable rights. You can kind of see, the, you can hear the echoes of these of this concept all the way back in these Old Testament verses. Yes, yes. Good ideas, but you know what? Even better than that, there's like a spiritual basis for this that's so important that it came from God. Substitute God for anything you like, right? Pick a name. Well, I'm I'm actually really keenly interested in speaking to the people who believe that these yes. they're reading the word of God right now. Absolutely. I, I, if your if your spiritual journey is different, here's what I'm going to say to you today. I'm the program that we put together here for you. That's for sharing. This is for sharing with your Christian friends. You may have you may have a different approach, but I'm I'm really like focused like a laser today on the people who say that they believe this book. Show, don't tell. How about Deuteronomy? I've got three verses. Shall I read them all together? Um, let's do just the first one here. Okay. Deuteronomy 1, 16. I charged your judges at that time, give the members of your community a fair hearing and judge rightly between one person and another, whether citizen or resident alien. Okay, so again, we got the concept of not having two different just, justice systems, but the issue here, and this, by the way, has been a traditional problem throughout history in ju judicial systems, is that some people can buy better justice. Yep, and it's yep. saying, nope, just even if someone can't pay, they should be equal justice. There's a, a movement in the 1600s called the Levelers. I'm kind of fond of these guys. Uh, they were kind of semi-aligned with uh, Cromwell, but they, Cromwell, of course, got the power and then he runs off and does things. And a lot of these guys end up in prison. But one of the issues that they were making at the time was that the courts weren't fair 
and the wealthiest people were able to rig the courts to their advantage. And they literally used the power to steal land from people next to them. So this is, this is a, and, and to this day, there are nations on the planet where the justice system is rigged that way. And one could even argue there are times that the American system doesn't live up to everything it's supposed to in this area. The point here is that there wasn't supposed to be any paid for justice. Justice was the same rule for everyone. We're going to take a little detour all the way back to Leviticus on this. But here in Deuteronomy, we have a verse that instructs people how to harvest again, Deuteronomy 24, 20 to 21. And it's symbolic in the same way that it was back in Leviticus. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. So here you could have actually put in extra effort at diminishing returns to try to collect something that was not worthy of resale at harvest time. But to an individual who had to go in and eat, maybe it just had themselves and their kids to feed, it might be worth their effort to pull those things off because they were that poor, right? Not enough effort, more energy would have been expended to get that last little bit that wasn't necessarily profitable. He's, it's, it's here, leave that behind literally leave that behind. And I, I want to uh, point out here that both in the field that was gleaning and in these two examples here, it wasn't, I have to pull these things off. I have to labor and hand them to you. It was leave something behind and let them labor a little, right? Let them do yeah. a little something to earn what they're doing there, which is not also how our current welfare programs work. But the key message we're driving home here is that it's the orphan, the widow. These are repeated themes that come up throughout the prophets, the concern about these two, two people. But it's also the alien. The alien is being put in this very same place as people who were born and raised there but were poor, as people who were former slaves but are now there. Like this is recognize that you're just like them. This is about those people. They're human beings made in the image of God just like you. This next verse really nails it because it goes to justice. It's Deuteronomy 27, 19, and the word is cursed. So cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, and the widow of justice. And all the people shall say, amen. That's pretty strong. It's, it's not only strong, but that last part about all the people saying amen. So no ruler rules without having some consent from the governed. I'm just watching the news here recently, and it's talking about the fact that despite the fact that Russia is an autocracy, and despite the fact that there was widespread high levels of approval for the initial invasion of Ukraine, his political support for this uh, thing has faded tremendously. By the way, it's also the support for sending unlimited amounts of money over to Ukraine has faded over here as well. And so this thing may hopefully be winding up. My point in saying this is that every leader, no matter how tyrannical, no matter how accountable, no matter how much the game appears to be rigged, at some point is still accountable to the people they rule. If they refuse to comply and consent, it won't go forward. Well, the flip side of that is true as well. If all the people say amen, if they all say this is what we want, they're more likely to get what they want. Here, a people that decides that they don't want to deprive the alien, the orphan, and the widow, they don't want these people suffering. They want to make sure that they're being taken care of. They want expressions of care in their community. They're going to get what they want if they're all saying, amen. 
Is this sort of the first government by popular acclaim? This is government by grace. Like, imagine that. We're sitting here talking about grace, Arky. This is government by grace, Bill. It's right in front of you. It's like, okay, we don't have to have a program. We can leave a little bit of the fruit behind. We don't have to have a program. We can all say, amen, we do not want people deprived of fair hearings in court. We don't want people to suffer. We can all choose to exhibit grace. Stunning how that worked out, huh? Home run, man. <laughs> you took that fastball and put it where it needed to go. Okay, Jeremiah 7. And this is a little longer. But it's really indicative of so much that's going on today. If you if you re, if you read it like in the context of our world today, anyway, I'll, I'll just read it. Jeremiah seven four and twelve. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not go after others' goods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. This is in Jeremiah, but this is a recurring theme in the prophets. In Malachi, we're told true religion is to love, is to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Um. Elsewhere, uh, and I, the, the exact verse is escaping me at the moment, but uh, God said he could not stand the stench of the sacrifices. Didn't want him anymore. What he really wanted was for people to return to the wives of their youth, uh, to, to hear the cry of the orphans that they had made behind them. So there's this, this theme that is saying that if you're, you don't pretend that somehow or other you're in my camp or you're serving my team or you're with me in my mission, this is God speaking, if you're not looking out for the least of these. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he literally says this is the difference between a group of people he calls sheep and another group of people he calls goats. And the goats were people that didn't recognize the least amongst us. They were the ones that were, were going to be judged because they had not seen those people. And so uh, doing justice, looking out for the orphan, this is the true practice of what is typically called religion. Uh, it's it's and it's maybe conveniently overlooked in, when we assemble and we get together and we you know sing and do the things that we do and then and then for fail to go out and actually engage in these other additional acts that really do demonstrate that something has changed about us. And and again, I come back to this idea of grace and grace archy, the, the government that we have has been imposed on us. And I, and you know, I, almost everybody in my audience should be somebody that'd be like, we want a lot less government. We are libertarian, uh, either mostly or fully. And if you are, you have to recognize that this government that comes to oppress us is doing all the things that we failed to do when we could have done them volitionally. We could have chosen a self-government path where we actually did these things. And here it is, it's being laid out in a very gracious way choose the grace method. That's how you honor and please God. That's how you actually practice your religion. Let's take a quick detour to Zechariah. This is chapter seven, verse 10. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, and the alien, or the poor. And do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. 
So this is not talking to the judges now. This is talking to the people who would try to sue somebody or drag them into court. They would try to find a way to steal from them. They would try to take advantage of their weakened political status. The fact that they don't have stature in the community or they don't have wealth and they're going to come in and they're going to try to steal from them. And the, the important part of the message for today's purpose is that in, while this is in general wrong, the, the alien is being explicitly spelled out as being included in people that you could be offending against. So it's not just doing it to your next door neighbor. It's doing it to the person who's come from the foreign land, the sojourner. One of the last Old Testament verses we have is Malachi. And I, this may be the one you were referring to, Malachi 3, 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, fear is kind of the negative expression of the concept of respect. So we're basically being called upon to respect others. And fear means that you kind of owe something, right? Like the, 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 the implication of this verse is that you owe something. You, I, I, God wants the person's hearing this to say, the reason that you practice religion and you honor me is because you recognize you owe me. I've made your life what it is. I've made it possible. Now let's take this one step further and say, if you've lost sight of that idea and you start trying to steal to get what you want, you're not depending on me anymore. And you're not even saying you owe me. In fact, you're saying that you're willing to steal from me. And he's very clearly, very clearly picking a side in this situation. Yeah. And before we jump to the New Testament here, I love the fact that we're all aliens. And even in the, even that has its roots in a biblical song in Psalms. I'll just read verse 12 of Psalm 39. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to me, cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. What a beautiful so way to So there's a series of verses, and we're not going to read through all of them here. Uh, today, uh, Psalm 39, 12 is the one you just quoted, but there's Ephesians 2, 12, Ephesians 2, 19, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, and 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Let me repeat those real quickly because people are going to want this. Maybe I'll put them in the show notes. Too. Yeah, we'll put them in the show notes. We'll and maybe even up on the screen if we can. I don't know. But Ephesians 2, 12, Ephesians 2, 19, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, and 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 all of which say we are all aliens. So you're being asked to treat your own tribe as yourself as an alien, and then view these other people who are actually aliens as being just like you. No better, no worse, all made in the image of God. That's where they got their rights. This has been... Uh, kind of an interesting, specific journey through the Bible for me. These are not verses that, you know, generally spring to anybody's mind. I'm not a chapter and verse guy. I know there are people who can do that, you know, but <laughs> I don't know if you could find a Christian and wind them up and say, give me chapter and verse on aliens. 
but here you've got it. At least you've got someplace you can refer back to these things. And one thing that comes through, especially in light of everything that's been happening in our week so far, is the great love that God has for his people and wants to encourage that love in ways that may not be as easy as loving your neighbor, loving your alien, loving your orphan, loving your widow. Uh, these are not quite as easy as just like staying within the bounds of your own sanctuary. Good but, thing that this gets specifically addressed, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we're supposed to show hospitality. It's it's part of this, the program. Hospitality. It is part of grace. That's exactly right. So, yeah. so we have not talked about hospitality as an aspect of grace before today on this program. This is the first time we're doing it, but it ends up being applied specifically to aliens and it's a command. It's not advice. It's not saying, Hey, it'd be a good thing if you uh, practice more hospitality. Nope. It's something that's supposed to be part of your life. Who are you providing hospitality to? And we are supposed to be stretching ourselves into, and by the way, guilty here. I just got through the holiday season. It's like, you know, good. Everybody's gone. The parties are over, right? You know what I'm saying? But it's not saying get together with the people that you know and that you see every year. It's saying find ways to make new relations and do things for people where you not only helped them, but you got to know them. You were part of their lives for a moment. I'm referring to Romans 12, 13, Hebrews 13, 2. And 1 Peter 3, 9. That's Romans 12, 13, Hebrews 13, 2, and 1 Peter 3, 9, all containing commands to show hospitalities to strangers. So hospitality is an act of grace. And we did an episode here where we talked about uh, kind of dining with sinners or, or yeah. in, like literally that's what we titled it. We talked at another episode about having lemonade with the KKK coming down your street, right? Yep. This idea that the person that maybe is a little bit harder to try to get along with, trying to figure out a way to create a bridge and using maybe food to do it or or assistance to do it, right? And and and, and starting to, to, to build a relationship, get to know that person a bit and find out a little bit. Again, I say this all the time, what's your deal? What's your deal? Like right now, I don't understand what you're doing. You're standing out here, you know, acting strange or whatever. Maybe you need some food. What's your deal? Like, why? How'd you end up here? What's going on? And I know, Bill, you've had these experiences with people oh, yeah. on the streets, right? Oh, yeah. It's happened to me. I mean, I, I can. The most significant moments in my life were, were happened when someone, someone, if I knew someone, a total stranger, just gave me some kind of grace. Uh, one time, it was a meal. I had nobody and very little money. You know, and some friends that I knew saw me and said, would you like to have dinner with us? And that kind of I thing. Mean, I have had experiences just like this too, oddly enough. You know, it, yep. it's part of how, th it's part of how this all works, folks. You know, we're in this, we're all in this together, whatever the color of your skin, whatever your nationality, whatever your belief system, we're all in this together. And taking that lemonade when it's offered could be one of the most remarkable transforming experiences for both the giver and the receiver that ever happens in your life. Yeah. I just stumbled across something that somebody wrote uh, today about racism and said, saying that this was from my Facebook memories and the suggestion had been made that uh, you it's not a defense to say I have black friends. And 
this person was making the observation, and I agree with it 100%, that saying that that's not really a good thing to say is like saying, well, friendship don't matter. Well, it does. Like if you connect and get to know other people who are different from you, then you are transformed by the experience. So I had an opportunity many years ago uh, to meet a man named Barry. And Barry is the person who basically sets the needle for me and drops it in the groove as to what I'm going to think of immigrants going forward because he's from Africa. And he comes to the United States to get an education and to stay here, he arranges to marry a woman. The laws of the time meant that that's a way that he could have gotten permanent residency here and got started down the path of citizenship. It was an arranged marriage and he worked extra hours to pay for it. He bought her a home. After he was done working these extra hours, he worked two nursing jobs, lived in a tiny apartment. And when he bought his first piece of real estate, it was a rental unit and he stayed in a small apartment, a basement apartment. And when I met Barry, he was working as a nurse and he happened to be working with my wife at an Alzheimer's facility at the time. And Barry said to me, here in America, the streets are paved with gold. He saw the opportunity for what was here. And when I heard the story I just shared with you and the sacrifices he was making to be here, and the way he was taking full advantage of the opportunity that it provided and adding to the wealth of the country. Thought we need more people like Barry. And my experience was transformed by that. And even today, even just as recently as this weekend, my wife went out and had breakfast with one of her new best friends, a wonderful woman uh, who is of Karen descent. And she's charming and sweet and cute as can be and has a family whose kids love my wife, and that relationship has transformed her. There's a whole world out there, folks, of things that you don't know and learn, foods you haven't even tasted. And I promise you, if we follow the grace arcing model that's laid out primarily in the Old Testament, but reinforced in the New, if you really, really believe what's in those pages, you're going to want to graciously welcome and help and get to know the alien.